200,000 cases of schizoaffective disorder, a form of schizophrenia, are reported each year. Usually occurring in males in their early 20s, schizoaffective disorder is characterized by symptoms such as paranoid delusions, disorganized thinking, and hallucinations, all of which occur in company with bouts of depression or mania. Today, our guest chronicles his 10-year journey of managing his illness after he first began experiencing symptoms at the age of 25. Among his delusions was the belief that people were literally burrowing under his house, that a celebrity was both living and spying on him from a basement just down the street. Our guest will also discuss his journey to wellness by way of a breakthrough medication that finally brought him to earth after a full decade of unsuccessful treatment. Lastly, he will talk about what resources may be available if you suspect that a family member may be suffering from schizoaffective disorder, a subject which will be thoroughly covered in the program notes. My name is Benjamin Russick, licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is my podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What to Do. What are we doing today, sir? Today we're going to be talking about schizoaffective disorder, something that's affected my life greatly over the years. So where did we meet and when did we meet? We've known each other probably about 15 years. Where did I first yeah. meet you? With Justin. I met you through the Justin. The tall, lanky, uh, way too good looking guy who got <laughs> all the women all the time. They were, all the time. No one knows why. Fuck him yeah. and his attractiveness. And we were all living in Marin County, and we were kind of these three little jukes or musketeers, whatever you want to call it, who would run around in wreaking havoc, wishing we were wreaking havoc. Valley, it's Marin County where nobody wreaks havoc because nothing ever happens in Marin County because it's a terrible place. You drive across the bridge. You drive across the bridge. You see some trees. There's a cafe. There's some people on some bicycles. A woman <laughs> walking her dog. That's about it. Yeah. For some reason, everybody loves Marin. No one knows why. So, yeah, we were pretty restless. It's hard being a single human who's in their 20s living in Marin. Marin. It's just not the spot. We kind of bonded. We bonded in our misery. And yes. we would get in cars and go to the city. And I remember once I was with a friend. He was from Petaluma. We were in North Beach. And we ran into these women, these girls, really, girls, from Petaluma. And they were all decked out. And they did not want to have anything to do with us because <laughs> they wanted city people. Yeah. Get away, get these Petalumans, these low class, <laughs> you know, whatever, Marin, go away, you're gross. We didn't come all the yeah, way yeah, here yeah, just yeah. to meet local yokels. No, we want the creme de la creme. We want the creme de la creme, San Francisco boys. Oh, anyway. We digress. So I'm just going to get right into it. This is kind of a delicate issue, and I, I really appreciate your coming. Yeah. And I'm just going to talk a little bit about what schizoaffective disorder is, as I understand it from a clinical perspective. So I'm holding the DSM. There's a chunk of disorders called the schizophrenia spectrum and other psychotic disorders, of yes. which schizoaffective is a part. Yeah. Now, yeah. basically, all of these disorders are marked with symptoms of delusions. So a delusion mm -hmm. is, what's a delusion? What I would describe it, based on my experience, is a, a grandiose belief in something that is false. You're committed to that belief. Yeah, yeah. You cannot be convinced otherwise. It can be everything from, you know, my TV's talking to me yeah. to this person's coming after to me. My father is conspiring with yes. Verizon yes. Wireless yes. to come after me. Yes. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf yeah. is living down the street in a basement and he has a radio transmitter. Exactly. And he's communicating with me. He knows things that I don't know. And, <laughs> but we know things together. Shia, he's just down the street in that garage. See that garage right there? Sure. He's, he's in there. Just, just down, down the street. The street. <laughs> 
that's a delusion. And then hallucinations are as, as you'd think, you know, what's that palm tree doing in the middle of, of the freeway? Yeah. <laughs> and then we have disorganized thinking or speech, which is like word salad, random words that make no sense, thoughts that don't seem to link together. Yeah. Yeah. Abnormal motor behavior, which is something you usually see in schizophrenia, not schizoaffective, which is catatonia where they either not moving or they're moving in a very awkward kind of robotic way. Mm-hmm. Negative symptoms, which are like reductions and expressions of emotions, eye contact, intonation of speech. It's sort of a weird thing. It's like there's less of the person. In schizophrenia, when in, when one of their bouts is coming on, you'll see negative symptoms and they'll start to recede and they'll isolate and then they'll get sicker and sicker. Anyway, those are the main symptoms. Now, the way these things are organized are based on usually duration of symptoms and frequency of onset of the yeah, symptoms. Yeah. So for instance, schizophrenia is kind of for life yeah. and it yeah. comes and goes in waves, usually hits people in their early 20s. All of these things usually hit people in their early 20s, mainly men. Yeah, it hit me in my mid 20s. In college, I've actually seen two or three people get some form of psychotic disorder. Wow. I had a roommate thought he was Jesus and they found him in the jacuzzi Whoa. with all of his clothes on with the lid over his head. <laughs> yeah. He was pretty bad. He came out of it. He was fine. And then another guy who was just walking around the house, wandering with his big eyes. And it affects 200,000 people a year. It's real. It's real, yeah. Now, it says that 200,000 cases of schizophrenia a year and 200,000 cases of schizoaffective disorder. Now, does that equal 400,000? I'm not really sure. All I know is that it's a lot of people every year. And if you are in college, you've probably seen it. You've yeah. probably seen it because that's when it happens. And it's really confusing because college kids, they don't know. Like, what's happening to no. my roommate? It's just really sad. Anyway, so there's schizotypal, there's, which is, I think it's less, it doesn't happen for as long. There's schizophreniform, like it's like six months versus three months. There's all these different schizes, okay? And that's mm. complicated and I'm not going to get into all of it. But what I am going to talk about is schizoaffective. So schizoaffective basically means that a psychotic episode, delusions and all these things that descend upon you from the sky, usually happen at the same time as an emotional upset, a mood change. You get really depressed or you get manic. Manic. Yeah, you get manic. So there's two basic types of schizoaffective disorder. There's the bipolar type and the depressive type. So the depressive type is somebody gets really, really depressed. There's some sort of change in their life and then this onset. Now, it's not clear if one causes the other. It's not really, no one knows. All they know that these are the symptoms. This is what happens. This is what happens. This is what happens. And there's the bipolar type. That's mania. So mania mania is when you go off the rails, you don't sleep, you spend lots of money, you sleep with lots of people, your grandiose ideas, grandiose yeah. thinking, you're just off the rails. And then you have all these things happen. So you have the bipolar type, correct? I, I do. Yes, you yeah. do. For a long time, there was some confusion about your diagnosis. There definitely was, you know. I was diagnosed with depressive disorder in the late 90s in high school. It eventually... The diagnosis made its way from kind of a normal depression to uh, severe depression to bipolar depression. And then in 2006, That's when the, the shit hit the fan. The shit hit the so fan. So in 2006, you kind of dropped off the map and you would surface every once in a while yeah. and you would be a little less psychotic or a lot yeah. less psychotic. And then it wasn't until you called me about a year ago. Mm-hmm. I'm like, my God, you sound like 2006 again. What happened? Yeah. So something um, happened. I was blessed and finally found good medical treatment. Right. right. Um, it took a long, long time. It took over a decade of searching and, and pain and diligence and just not giving up. Yeah. 
and finally I found the right med regime. Uh-huh. I haven't given up. Yeah. You know, I've been through a lot yeah. and I found the right meds. That's great. Just so people know, this is a common thing. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about medications is that everyone is basically a different chemical composition. Yeah. Psychiatrists are constantly tweaking medications to find yeah. out what works. They do this for depression, they do this for anxiety, they do it for psychotic disorders. It takes some tinkering. Sometimes it mm-hmm. takes years, sometimes it takes 10 years to figure it out. Sadly. So now we're just going to start, man. We're just going to start from the beginning, way back in 98, way before I ever met you. Way back You were 16 years old. Yep. Yep. And you were in high school. Pothead. Pothead. (laughs) Were you doing other drugs too? Yeah. Mushrooms and acids. Mushrooms and acids and stuff. No big deal. Nothing like, nothing (laughs) that might explode your brain. (laughs) Nothing that would severely alter your brain That might like turn your psyche into a hot spaghetti mess. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like that. Nothing you shouldn't be doing when your brain's developing. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Just let's pour that. Let's pour it in the mix. Right into my eyeball. (laughs) Anyways. So in 98, I uh, was having difficulty in school. My grades were dropping. So I started seeing a therapist. I was on, I think it was Adderall and one antidepressant. And I was good in high school. I was a happy kid. My good parents, theater kid, just kind of cruised along, had friends or whatever. In 99, I graduated, got into a school. And then I had a psych break when I went to Humboldt College. Break. What do you mean by that? I had like a panic attack. I just kind of didn't take my meds for a week and had kind of a mental breakdown. So symptoms of panic attacks are like overwhelming fear, heart palpitations, a sense of heaviness on your chest, difficulty breathing. Were you feeling those things? Yeah. Yeah. I just was like terrified. I was like afraid of like failure. I couldn't make it. And so I called up my parents. I was like, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. They drove back up to Humboldt, packed me up, moved back home. You know, in high school, I got best actor and I was going to you know go do theater at Humboldt and I had all these grandiose plans or whatever and with all this like overwhelming sense of failure from lasting a week in college or whatever it was compiling and it like built up on me and a few months after getting back from college I attempted suicide by hanging myself in my closet you know it was a really rough experience because you know my mom found me and she took me to the hospital what happened that kept you alive uh, it broke and you belt. were unconscious I was unconscious when I was Wow, found. how long were you unconscious? I have no idea. Wow. That's a hell of a story, Ryan. It's a close call. Ooh, people say there's no God. Yeah. Oy, oy, oy. Were you put in a facility after that? Yeah. For how long? Short while. After that, over the next couple of years, I uh, went through a couple different doctors and got on various different were meds. Were you using drugs and alcohol during this time? We mostly mostly marijuana. You know, the the incidence of psychosis related to marijuana use is on the rise, right? Yeah. One of the things that marijuana does is it suppresses REM sleep. Yeah. And if you can't get your REM sleep in, you are going to you're going to the crazy house. Yep. It's a huge trigger. Marijuana is actually been linked to causing schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder. Like if you do it when you're a kid. Oh really? No kidding. I didn't know that. Um, so you, you had this psychotic break in Brooklyn? Yeah, another attempt to vacate Marin. It's hard to vacate Marin. It's hard. I, it's, well, it's like the mob. Um, you may not leave. <laughs> Anyone from Marin will know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, 2003, I moved out to Brooklyn. Basically, I moved out there like the worst timing in the world. Shortly after arriving there, there was the Eastern City lost power. The night of the blackout, 
I was living with my sister at the time. Everyone in my sister's apartment complex gathered on our deck. We were having drinks or whatever. We were, everybody was kind of relaxing. But it was a weird scene because like at the time, it was shortly after September 11th. No one knew what was happening. It, there was no power, no cell phones. People didn't know if it was like a bomb. Like literally, it was like it could have been a terrorist attack. Nobody knew what was going on. There was no way of communicating. I mean, everyone was in total fear. And I had literally just moved there two or three weeks prior from a super small town in Northern California. And this is New York City. So I'm just like scared shitless. You know what I mean? You know, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have a couple of beers, take the edge off or whatever, take my meds for the night, which is a large dose of anti-seizure meds and antidepressant. Okay. I drink more, forget I take my meds. My sister reminds me to take my meds and I take a second dose of my medication. And then at this point I get toxic on my medication and the alcohol and I took a third dose. Long story short is I got over-medicated and drunk, ended up wandering out. I left the apartment in a chemical blackout. So the city was blacked out and you were, and I was blacked, and you were blacked out. out. A lot of yeah. blacking and out happened. A lot of blacking out. And I wandered out, locked out of my apartment. I vaguely remember like asking how to get to the airport. Can you imagine like wandering around like, yeah, I was, I was scared shit. You know, I was scared out of my mind trying to leave. Some homeless guy took me to the Brooklyn hospital, but I had no ID, no money, like nothing. So they, they just put me in a room and my sister didn't know where I was for like five or six days. Yeah. She woke up the next day during the blackout, which lasted three days and she had no idea where I was. Do you remember being in the room? They just put me in a room somewhere and sedated me the okay, whole time. Okay, so you were pretty out of it. I woke up one time and I vaguely remember seeing like her room. And then I, the next time I woke up, my sister and and all her friends were there. It was, I mean, it was terrifying. At this point, your drinking was increasing. Yes, at that point in my life, I was, I had started drinking. There was a mixture of weed and alcohol and whatever psychotropic drugs you were on. And this is all prior to the onset of schizoaffective disorder. Just extra trauma to throw in there. <laughs> Let's fast forward a little bit. Suddenly, you're back in Marin County. I went back to College of Marin, and that's how I met Justin and you. And I was working for Justin's dad. You were I was, working I was a for paralegal. Justin's dad. That was, that was the interesting job. It's amazing. He would call me up. Where's the Cardonia file? Which is like some case we're working on. I'm like, um, I don't know. Where'd I, like, it's, it's like it's like at six in the morning. He's like, Where's I gotta get to court? I'm gonna be ass is gonna be in a sling. And <laughs> where'd you put it? Where'd you put it? Oh, here it is. Okay, I found it. Never mind. Bye. Clunk. <laughs> and it was just anyway. That was a job. So God bless George Oliver. So. 2006. Let me just talk about my experience. Yeah. yeah. I knew nothing about any of this history. I, yeah. we, we didn't know you'd been, you'd try to hurt yourself. We didn't know that you'd had anything happen to you at all. And I remember I was having a conversation with Justin one day. And this is, this was, I remember distinctly that this happened when you moved out of your mom's house. Yeah. Yeah. In an apartment and you were dating some woman. Justin said to me, Ben, I got to talk to you. Um, he thinks that this, that, you know, she was uh, possibly assaulted. So I'm like, what do you mean she's assaulted? What are you talking about? Okay. So I remember calling you up and you sounded different. Your yeah. voice was choppy. You were very suspicious sounding. You just sounded bad. And like, uh, what's going on with that girl? She, yeah. Um, people are just kind of shifty there. I don't, I don't know what's going on, man. Like, yeah, I'm not really sure. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, Justin and I started talking some more and it just sort of came to the surface that like we would hang out with you. It was like you started talking about all the people that you'd hurt. Your eyes were flitting about the room. Your body language is sort of kind of 
different and you were kind of hiding in plain sight. Mm. It was very strange mm. to see. May I mention you have epilepsy? I do. I do. Yeah. And Justin was like, maybe it's his epilepsy meds. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know what's going on. And I just remember it was a whole, just a shitstorm of confusion that began. And then that, that was the beginning. So tell me what was going on with you at that time. To be honest with you, I was really ashamed of my past with depression and just my history in general. And when I first met you guys, I wanted to just close the door on that and not have that ever come up again, you know, as anyone would. And obviously it did. It reared its ugly head. A lot of what you saw that day illustrated a lot of symptoms of what schizoaffective disorder is, Mm -hmm. that kind of jumbled speech pattern. I was just really, I think, frightened at the time. The cops even knew who you were at this point, right? So you'd call them up, you'd call 911. What would happen? Um, This is skipping ahead years. Like 2014 was a really bad year for me, a year where I actually spent almost over 30 days in a psych facility. Mm -hmm which is an extremely long time. It was two consecutive 50-250s. Okay, what's a 5250? Uh, 5150 is a, a danger to yourself or it's others. It's a three-day hold. 5250 just means a longer stay, that's all it means. So what about that story? During that year, I, there was incidents where I would call up the cops and be like, yeah, there's people outside. I think there's, you know, I've, I've, I, hear, I think I hear somebody burying bodies outside of the house or, or like there's people burrowing under the house and like, you know, and I lived on this huge hillside, like no one is going to be under a house, let alone like burrowing under a house. Like I was convinced that a militant faction, like a hip hop group was like a militant it's ridiculous. Like some of the things that I have have come up with, I think of some of these things that my brain, you know, that my mind has constructed, and it's just like unbelievable. There was the thing with my dad and Verizon. What was that about? I don't really remember that much. You seem to remember better than I do. You're, you're talking about your phone, and you're like, "Oh man, yeah, I got Verizon, but I, you know, my dad and Verizon, I, I think they're they're connected somehow, and they're I don't I don't trust it." You know, <laughs> I think it was, you know, my dad and Verizon, they don't have my best interest in mind. That's what it was. That's what it was. See, this is the thing. It's like, I have to have a good sense of humor about it. My favorite is. Is what? Why don't you tell me what my favorite Shallow, is? Shallow oh, Love. Yeah. Tell me that story. Uh, so apparently I thought, sh- what was it? Shia LaBeouf lived down in the basement. It, no, it, down the street. It lived in a garage down the street, down the street from me. And was spying on you? And was spying on me for some reason. And I remember <laughs> once when you had kind of come up for air and I was giving you a ride home where you weren't, you were kind of in a better place, I thought. <laughs> Oops. And I was giving you a ride home because you live on this enormous hill. And I was driving home and I was driving home. I was like, yeah, so um, do you remember that one delusion you had about Shia LaBeouf living in the basement? And you're like, what are you talking about? I never thought that. Why don't you just, just pull up and drop me off and turn around and leave? And I was like, oh, that's pretty intense. And I asked oh you later about that. And apparently you thought that I was in league with this guy oh and I was planning God. your demise or something. Like I was oh they, my. I was them, you know? I yeah, was they who were after you. <sighs> yeah, no fun. And I don't mean, I mean, we're only making light of these things because what else are you going to do? Yeah, no, that's the thing is like, I speak about it now, like my life is going really well right now. Yeah. 
I do this podcast as an individual who's still recovering from a chronic mental illness that is extremely serious. And I think the best solution to living with it and dealing with it is to accept it, embrace it, treat it, and kind of move through it. I have crazy stories, you know what I mean? If I'm ashamed of that, like the whole point of this is just kind of like, you're not the only one, you know what I mean? Earlier you said 2014 was an especially bad year. Yeah. Yeah. What happened in 2014 that was so terrible? Uh, I just was like, assaulted some guy at a meeting. Tell us about that. I would go to these meetings and like- An AA meeting. I'd be paranoid and I'd think people were talking about me and gradually becoming more paranoid and more paranoid. And and finally at this meeting, I uh, was going through it the whole time. And uh, at the end of the meeting, I swore this guy who was the speaker had said something about my mom. So I literally s- went straight up straight across the circle meetings are conducted in a circle straight across the circle and just cold right right in front of a circle of like fucking 60 people or 50 people turned around not even rushing calmly walked out wow i was out of my mind what happened after that i just went and had a cigarette casually went down the street yeah two or three cop cars get arrested I didn't, I don't even know how I didn't get arrested. I had a really rough year and like I'd had a lot of psych problems come up at meetings before that. Uh My psych issues were well known in the community because AA is a very small knit group. Do you remember when I took you to the beach? I don't remember a lot. I took you to the beach because I figured it would be kind of healthy for you. You were so concerned about people coming for you. And I said to you, what would happen if I put all the people in the world who are after you in a cage? And they were right over there, all of them in a cage. Would yeah, you would yeah. you be happy? I remember you kind of looked down and you just kind of shook your head and you were really quiet. I was I thought that was a pretty rational thing, but <laughs> I think one of my problems is that I kept trying to convince you that your delusions weren't real. Yeah, it's not what you do. It's not what you do because you, yeah, you, can't. you can't you know, I wasn't in school at that point. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. but even now it's like really difficult when somebody is delusional to really because your ego just wants to be right like no fuck you you can't think that that's ridiculous yeah no that's the thing it's like like even for me like you know i've talked to people suffering from mental health issues because i'm in recovery and like in aa like when someone with mental health issues has problems that individual is usually kind of pushed my way Sometimes it's hard. Like there was one situation where I was talking to an individual who's clearly in the middle of a severe delusional state like I was at one point. I was not in a delusional state. I was perfectly balanced at the time. But he was like, it was looking in a mirror. You know what I mean? He was just like, he was talking like sheer madness. He was like mumbling. He was worse off than I was. You have to be really patient when talking to a person who's delusional. You know what I mean? It takes a lot of patience and tolerance because you have to be able to take a deep breath and kind of like, okay, I'm going to kind of let them talk and work through their issues and kind of like just accept that they're in their state and you got to have a provide them like a safe kind of sounding board to kind of work out their issues. You know what I mean? Because like you can't convince them otherwise. Right. You have to put them in a position to like get help. That's the key thing. So let's talk a little bit about your treatment. What are some of the things that you saw that you witnessed and experienced while you're in all those institutions? Oh man. Yeah, I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of fights. 
that's common. What do people fight about? Stupid shit. There's a lot of people like tongue out, like wandering around. And so these facilities, basically this sort of gray, white uh, looking environment with couches and overhead fluorescent lights. Lots of games. Lots of games, like puzzles, puzzles and things. Old newspapers, what else? TVs with plastic over it. So you don't smash them? Yeah, mounted on the wall. And do you, are you locked up in your room or are you allowed to wander No, around? God, no. We're not. I mean, you're not in like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. It's, it's not that bad. There's no padded room. There is. There is, there is a padded room. They exist. They do exist, but you don't go yeah. into them. I've been in one. You have. When were you in a padded room? Twice. Twice. Two times. One. Yeah. Was, uh, God. The first time you get sent to a psych facility, it's hard. I was sure my delusions were fact. And they took me to this psych facility, the first one I went to in 2006. And I was like fighting all the guards. And like, I was like, no, 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 you can't do this. Some four guards to hold me down. And they'd give me a shot of Thorazine in the, I think it was the ass of the thigh. I'm not sure which. And they threw me in a padded room and I woke up. Like, that is the one floor of the cuckoo's yeah. nest. Yeah. So you've they, been. They do that. They do that. For violent and active, I mean, they have to do that. So one question that I wanted to ask was how did your life change? Like, did your lifestyle change? I know in your 20s, you were living at home and then it all kind of hit the fan in 2006 mm -hmm. when you moved out. Mm -hmm. your, how did your day-to-day -day change? I had to come to terms over the years with my diagnosis and I had to accept where I was in my life and embrace my disorder. And I had to take charge of my life. I had to start getting pill boxes in order and be vigilant about my treatment, get good doctors and follow their orders very strictly. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Until I did that, nothing changed. You had your parents to live with this whole time you were never on yeah. the street or anything like no. that no i was blessed I, I honestly like there's a reason why a lot of we see a lot of homeless people out in the street struggling with this disorder yeah it's because they don't have a lot like i was blessed with a loving family mm -hmm. and a caring family mm -hmm. and a large support group i i am so lucky yeah i remember once getting a text from your sister yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. texted me, you know, why yeah. me? Yeah. I don't know, but I guess she was texting everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And was it like, were, did you feel handicapped, quote unquote? Never. Never? Okay. I, so, I am. <laughs> but but you didn't you didn't miss a beat. Did you did you keep like going to school? Did, I did. I was at a university. You completed that degree. I did. I got a bachelor's in fine arts. It's easier to be a little crazy and get a fine arts <laughs> degree than it is to get yeah. a, <laughs> your law degree. Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, so the things that changed dramatically, I suppose, was your relationships with people. Yeah. It, it was, yeah, like your relationship to Justin and myself and your family and, and just suddenly, whoa, this person is now very different. It really kind of set up a very large filter socially. It kind of weeded out, you know. You found out who your friends were. Exactly. It, I really did. It was a true test. We've been talking a lot about, you know, your experiences, but not a lot about your inner emotional state. Like, I remember once you called me and you were sobbing because yeah. you were just like, Ben, I don't even know what, what is real. Like, I don't even know who is around me and where to go and what yeah. to do. And it's like, it's all gone. What was it like? <sighs> Empty. Like, helpless. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've, like, I, I was... I was talking, I've, this podcast was coming up and I was talking to a friend, you know, I was talking to him about a situation that 
I went through with him and it was like, you know, and in that situation with him, it was another situation like you just described. I was very emotional and crying and like, mm -hmm. just like, I didn't know what to do. I was very panicked. And mm -hmm. I mean, speaking from experience, like, even if you have a lesser severe depressive disorder than I have, like you have those same moments of hopelessness and desperation and emptiness and you experience a void that most human beings don't touch. And that's something that's really important to, to know. You know, I think that most people like walk around on a day-to-day -day basis and they look at other, you know, they look at other people people and they don't like factor that into the equation like you say someone has a depressive disorder and it's like oh that that person's depressed they're on prozac or whatever but like, but, they're like they they're sad oh whatever Mah, you're sad you know that void that darkness that a human being can tap into when they've been diagnosed with those disorders and they actually have those conditions mm -hmm. is a dark place. The human mind is a very, very dark place mm -hmm. and very like it goes. The depths of the human mind are incredibly deep. What do you mean by that? I still to this day like have issues of deep to be honest with you, like to this day, like when I think of some of the dark thoughts that I've had during these delusions, like mm -hmm. I still am ashamed of them. You yeah. know what I mean? I can honestly say that like in a sane, lucid state on a day to day basis when I'm working like at my job or when things are going great for me now, like things are going well in my life. And like, but like there'll be moments in the day and I'll just like be like, like what? I thought that like. And like, those are things that my mind fabricated when we discussed doing this podcast, which I had reservations on doing, but I'm glad I decided to do it. I had to do some research into the condition and it was really therapeutic. I got to read about the disease and I got to discover that I'm not the only one, you know yeah. what I mean? It's a condition that a lot of other people struggle with. Not all mental conditions are the same. And people with my condition, they're not all the same either. You yeah. know, like, you know, my delusions are going to be completely different from another individual's delusions. But like our strife is the same. You know what I mean? Do you feel a kinship with people who I, I struggle? Do. How do you feel do. when you see yes. this? Most people, they, they feel fear or agitation or irritation yeah. when they yeah. see that. What do you feel when you see when something? I, when I walk in the Tenderloin or like, you know, in my city, when I walk down the street and I see a homeless man, like, the, and they're struggling with, you know, their sanity. I do. I feel empathy, you know, because I know if I didn't come from a loving, supportive environment, if I didn't have the, the strong family, the strong friendship yeah and like the support that i do yeah like i if i was alone in the world i would be in their shoes yeah wow without a doubt that's a salient point <laughs> you know what i mean yeah you would be there yeah you'd be homeless on the streets that says something about our society we could too. we could help these people i mean it's not we guaranteed could. that we could necessarily medicate them correctly but no. we no. could do so much better we could yeah there's something to be done there. You know, I'm, I'm kind of tough on a lot of people who say that they've had a rough hand in life or yeah, they're yeah. disabled. And I'm like, come on, you know, you're, you're in your prime of your life and you had some hard knocks, but you're, you're on your feet and you're good. You know, I considered you to be one of those people who truly had a difficult hand dealt to you. Because, you know, when God or whatever takes away your mind, 
you don't have anything you can i mean i don't want to say that you shouldn't be upset if you lose something really significant but if you lose your mind like there's nothing else that the universe can take from you nothing nothing else it's your strongest attribute it is so um so somehow you found this these incredible doctors up in the north and yeah. they put you on the correct meds can you describe to us what it was like going on those meds and what it was like coming out of your delusional state presumably for the first time in a decade i mean it's not like i was in a delusional state for 10 years okay you'd come in and out I would come in and out. Describe what it's like to come out of a delusional state. Going into a delusional state makes sense to me. This is what I've heard over the years. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. yeah. It's like you're just, you're you, you're going around your daily business, and all of a sudden, you are on the bus. You see somebody looking at you, and then you hear that person say something derogatory to you when none of that happened. So it's like everything seems completely normal to you. In other words, there's no, it's not like you start seeing colors. It's not like you start feeling weird. You feel no. the same. Next thing you know, it's real. You start believing all these things. It's just wild, I would imagine, yeah? It just happens. There's no like kind of warning signs. What is it like to come out of those states of delusion? When I kind of calm down and I'm get my meds right, usually after some good inpatient, like I'll go to a hospital, I'll go through a hospitalization and I kind of come back to balance and I'm, it's just, I feel, I just like, I feel calm. The lack of pressure, ah. like the, the sheer lack of panic. Everything is so high tension right. when you're, when you're in that delusional state, like you get, it's almost like you're just like, Huh. And when you feel calm, do you look back on your delusional state and go, oh my God, I can't believe I was yes, saying yes, you're doing exactly. Tell me what that's like. Like every single thing I described to you, it has been like Jesus Christ, you know, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I laugh. I laugh, it's funny, whatever. Not, Not funny, funny but, yeah. you know, but it's, it's crazy. Yeah. What was it different this time when you were put on better well, meds? Yes. yes, I I did the right approach. I when I moved up to Portland, I did a hospital stay um, where it was like I lived a month and a half, two months at this like house. You stay there rent free, covered by insurance. Did you know that you had that you had landed finally? Yeah. yeah. How did you know I, that? I, I I knew there was a difference this time around. I just felt a lot more clear in the head. And I was on Seroquel for like 10 years on a very high dosage of it. When I moved up to Portland, they're like, yeah, we are going to put you on a different med. And they took me off Seroquel completely and put me on a low dose of a different antipsychotic. Uh -huh. And I was very clear headed. And I mean, it was like night and day. Wow, yeah. That's a good story. So here you are. Um, welcome back. <laughs> Great to have you back. Uh, we've missed you. Part of the reason I flew you down here was to say I'm so glad that you're here and I see how hard you've worked and how hard you are working and I'm happy to fund your operations in the Bay Area for a weekend. <laughs> what should family members do and what, what should individuals do if they find themselves having these symptoms? For an individual trying to figure out if they have it, uh -huh. that's, that's tough. I think the individual will know will be the last person to know if they have it or not. Uh, uh, clearly, I mean, just watch any episode of The Twilight Zone. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like you're the last one Trust to know. Me, you're the last one to know like, if you have. You are it. the alien. Yeah, <laughs> but um, for a family member or a loved one yeah. or a friend. I think the very best thing is to, there's so much information out there. Dig it up, get help, and don't be afraid. Get 
them into therapy, take them to a hospital, uh-huh. get, them get them diagnosed, get them medicated. Right. Don't be afraid of the stigmas because it, if gone untreated, you're talking really bad things. You're talking suicide. Oh, yeah, talking, the suicide rate is it's, it's high. Isn't it like 10, 20%? And also harming others. If you let delusions go on unchecked, they can believe, go on to believe Anything. any number of things and go do all sorts of things. You turn on the news, like what if they're an armed citizen? You know, like, you know, yeah. like if they if they're a hunter and like yeah. you, never know. you never know. If you think someone has it, call the hotlines, get the info, go to your nearest doctor. One of the things that people often ask me with so I work in addiction, like yeah. what do yeah. I do when my loved one is incapacitated, danger to themselves or danger to others? Yeah. yeah. It's real basic. You call 911, the cops will come and the the police will make an assessment of what to do. That is the best thing to do. Mm. It's just the best thing to do because it's not always safe, for instance, for you to transport somebody who's delusional, put them in your car and take them to the hospital. If if they seem passive, then I sure, but most of the time it's not going to be so easy. And the police are not going to come and rough up your loved one unless that loved one has a knife or they're throwing stuff and breaking stuff. In which case you need the police to, to come in and be strong. You can also do what's called a welfare check. So if you know where someone lives, yeah. you can call the police and you, you can say, if you're concerned for their well-being, you well-being. can say, I'd like to perform a, have a welfare check performed on so-and-so. And what will happen is the police will show up and they will make an assessment of the situation. If they decide the person is what's called a failure to thrive or they're harm to themselves or others, they will take them in. Oh really? Yeah, it's called a welfare check. Yeah. And also like in, in some cities, like in San Francisco, there's a welfare check team Oh really? Yeah. Not all cities have that, but the police are going to know what welfare check means. Like I'm worried about this person's sanity. Well-being. So a lot of the things that police and firemen and paramedics and all these people do respond to are mental health issues. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that is, you know, there's a lot of talk today. I'm not going to get into the defund police thing, but I do think it's a good idea that there is a mental health task force. Definitely. Because it's a real thing. It's a real thing. And think about it, people. 200,000 cases a year. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. I mean, and you look at all the homeless people. Yeah, I mean, you've had how many people got COVID? You know, how many people died from COVID? And nobody talks about mental health no. issues on the news. That's the one thing that makes me mad. As someone who suffers from a severe mental health disorder, watching the news on a daily basis and never hearing about mental health issues, yeah. if it, it's infuriating. I think addiction is in the same category. Yeah. And it is a mental illness too. You know, it's Addiction gets a little more attention. A little bit more attention. It's sexier. Much sexier. I walk around the TL or wherever and I see all these folks and... You know, a lot of them, it's just schizophrenia or, or yeah. one of those subtypes. They're not necessarily drug addicts. No. no. They're literally, they, they can't help themselves. And who's going to take care of these people? No. It's just awful. You, you know, a lot of people say, you know, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like these folks don't have bootstraps. Yeah. They can't, they're, no. Their minds are gone. They deserve the help. It's so, they it's do. not complicated. Yeah. Since you've recovered, what changes have you made in your life to improve yourself? Let's see here. Since 2017, I've uh, I've been working full time, and I uh, went back to school. Got a cush little spot, just living the living a dream, kind of having a stable lifestyle. Not living in your mother's basement anymore. Not living in a basement. What are some of your goals for this year? What do you want to do this year? Hopefully, get a raise at work. One of my goals, I'm hoping to make a move up to uh, leadership where I work. Okay. That would yeah, be a uh, good goal of the next couple of years any personal goals like health goals i could shed a few pounds. how many pounds do you want to lose well like everybody i gained a few quarantine pounds and you also gained some weight from that horrible drug you were taking yeah, yeah i have how much weight do you want to lose 
I don't know. I probably won't only lose about 40 pounds. Yeah. Would you also like to stop smoking? Uh, that's probably going to come hand in hand. Okay. I took you to a jujitsu class last night and you got to watch us kill each yeah, other. Yeah, that kicked ass. I really want to do you that. You want to do jujitsu? Okay. That's great. That's a good that's goal. That's a big maybe. Yeah. Big maybe. <laughs> and, that's, no, that's sheer economics and being able to get to it. And I, sir, yeah. if you want jujitsu, you will have jujitsu. Uh-huh. Uh, I will make sure of that. Uh, you want to, you've been on the dating apps. You want to find yourself a lady friend. Yeah. That's see dating in these days is crazy. Yeah. You've been, these dating apps are insane. Yeah, they are. What happened to like meeting people on a normal way? I remember when you would like meet people in person. Yeah. When you talk to people in the street now, I mean, even without COVID, they look at you like you're trying to kill them. You're crazy. You're trying to kill them. Yeah. It's like you're a serial killer. If you approach someone on the street. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really disturbing. Yeah, it is if you're like politely approach someone on the street and say hello, yeah. they're like, uh. So what I do now, my compromise is I just don't talk to anyone <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever. It's done. Yeah, never. No more. No more talking to anybody. Yeah, yeah it's just, just like, like stay, stay home. home. Yeah, stay home. This is so off topic, but I ring up this guy at my work. He literally looks albino. Like he is pale white Ooh. like he looks, looks like, like he saw, saw the sun like he looks like a vampire he's albino no but he's white so i think he just doesn't go out oh like, and he has like a face shield he's like over prepared for covid <laughs> so i think he just like doesn't go outside like i feel bad why because like fuck you're him. just like fuck oh poor guy oh, whatever it's his cross to be anyways this has nothing to do with the podcast. it's still funny though it is funny I wonder if they'll, when COVID opens up, if people will stop using dating apps because it's just going to be, everyone's going to be out there. Just starve just for attention. Like, you feed me eye contact. Uh, I thought for sure when I got vaccinated that I would get more hits on those dating apps, but no one seemed to give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I just took it off and deleted the whole thing. Like, it's stupid. So uh, you're going to have, you have your, your academic goals, your work goals, yep. Yep. weight loss goals, health goals. That's fantastic. It's nice to build things brick by brick, isn't it? To really see the progress slowly kind of, it's really satisfying. I'm in the beginning stages. I really am. Someone told me a story once. Um, Will Smith's dad, I think. I don't know where I should find the actual video and watch it. But apparently when Will Smith was in, I don't know how old he was. Let's just make up a number. Let's say he was yeah. 13. And there was this wall in the, his backyard that his dad tore down and said, we're going to rebuild this wall. It was huge. And yeah, every yeah. day after school, he'd come home and he and his brother would have to work on this wall yeah. Yeah. really meticulously. And his dad would come out and inspect it and make sure it was exactly correct. They worked on it for, I'm going to make up a number again. I'd say a year. Yeah. yeah. Right? Just yeah, like yeah. hard work, slow work. Yeah. At the end of the whole thing, his dad said, listen, the reason that I tore down this wall is not because we needed a new wall. I wanted to teach you something. That in life, if you want something big, you have to go brick by brick. And every brick that you lay has to be perfect so that you can put the next one on it. Yeah. And that story helped me enormous amount. That's how I put together this podcast. Like, yeah, I got to yeah. get the right equipment. I got to get this. I got to get that. thing is that when you have a mental health issue, you can't lay the bricks. The bricks yeah. are crooked. They, they are. break. You don't have bricks. You don't have mortar or yep. whatever. Then the host of problems. And you're relying on a third party for your mortar. Exactly. Exactly. Well said. And so the cool thing is, is that when you have your mental health people. Yeah. Your team. You can start building. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's yeah. not going to be given to you, but you can start building. And you just brick every day, lay a brick. Yeah. And no matter how small and insignificant it seems, take a step and do it beautifully and do it correctly. You know, go to the gym and work out. Eat a really good meal. Those yeah. are all bricks. Yeah. Spend an hour cleaning up your resume. That's a brick. Take steps. Clean your apartment really, really well. That's a yeah. brick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Make yeah, your bed. That's a brick. Yeah. All yeah. these things are bricks. All the things that we do to further ourselves in life are bricks. Yeah. yeah. Just lay them and do them right and do them well the first time. You will see the wall begin to get built or the tower or whatever metaphor you want to pick. And that's what you get to do now. And that's exciting, isn't it? I'm looking forward to it. I am too. Well, I think we're done. Okay. You feel complete? <laughs> that's a pretty intense uh, little hour was, we've just had. That was that was that was good. That was a lot. There was a lot of information. I really appreciate you. Uh, oh my God, I'm going to say it. I really appreciate your vulnerability. <laughs> I hate that word. That's so that's bad. A bad I, it's yeah. so catchy. Are you vulnerable? Are you authentic? Are you mindful? You know, I was. Um, I'm going to riff for a bit. The thing about mindfulness: if you say it, you're probably not being mindful because it's <laughs> it's a cliche. You know, it's a cliche yeah, yeah. word. And if you have to use a cliche word to describe something, you probably don't understand it yourself. <laughs> There's a lots of ways to talk about mindfulness means staying yeah. present. It means it means being awake, really, and yeah. conscious about where you are and what like like what Yoda said to, to Luke Skywalker, where yeah. he was, what he was doing. Basically Yoda yeah, just, you, Yoda never says mindfulness. Yeah, he never <laughs> Yoda, never Yoda uh, I cannot teach him. He is not mindful. No, like, what is this? Anyway, so yeah, F those words. I'm tired of those words. Let's get some better words. All right? All right? Yeah, much better words. Let's, Let's get, get them. them. Okay. Now, all right, sir. How do you feel? Good. Good. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening. Pertinent information stemming from this podcast will appear in the program notes. Should you have any questions or would like to be a guest on my show, you may contact me at benjaminrusick at gmail.com or go to my website at benjaminrusick.com. I encourage you to subscribe, share, and all the rest. Tell the world. Tell everyone. Thanks again. And remember, should you ever find that your plate is full, consider getting a bigger plate.